So, Mark. Yes? As I was watching this week's movie, I was thinking about all of the other fictional news people I have seen over the years. And I was wondering, what is your favorite cinematic news person? So, I feel that a lot of famous fictional news people, the true stars come from TV. Okay. Because it's a very easy framing device for television to, like, kickstart an event, something like that, happening in the world for that week. Okay. Movies have, like, one storyline. You're able to set that up and pay it off within the time frame of the movie. But each week you have to have a new storyline in a TV show. So that's why we have... Are you building up to Kent Brockman, the great action news reporter for Springfield? So he is up there for me. But if you think about it, like all the fictional famous news people I can think of, Kent Brockman, Perd Happley, the one on Arrested Development, are all TV. But I think two of my favorites are from Futurama, which are Morbo the Annihilator. And as he says, his puny earth human co-host linda oh so morbo hosts multiple shows he is planning an invasion in which he will kill all humans but he is also the host of shows such as tea with titans where he sits (laughs) and has polite conversations with people uh the show entertainment and earth invasion tonight as well as who dares to be a millionaire And he's best friends with Richard Nixon's head in a jar and a big supporter of his re-election campaign for president of Earth in the year 3000. Interesting. What about you? Mine, I think, is probably from Great News, not the anchor people. I forgot about Great News. But Greg, I think, is the producer's name and how he's always going on about his girlfriend, Cat, and everyone's convinced it's actually his, like, pet cat. Well, because he also talks about, like, I need to go home and feed my cat. Yeah. He calls her my cat. Yeah. I think he would probably be one of my favorites. Nicole Richie in that show is also really good. So is John Michael Higgins, who is great in everything. Yeah, but seeing Nicole Richie for the first time in ages, like, crushing it in this comedy role was very fun and refreshing. I feel like a lot of the people I thought of were not necessarily news people. Like, I thought of Chuck, the host of the morning show on Bob's Burgers, who (laughs) spends his career trying to sabotage Bob Belcher and make him look like a fool. Well, Bob did ruin his marriage, didn't he? As well as his TV show. Sure, but did that mean Chuck had to get Bob entered into a cooking competition, hoping he would look like an idiot? Fair. But also on Chuck's part, Kind of fair. Yeah. Uh, another morning showy kind of person who is not really a news person, Joan Calamezzo. Yeah. The yeah. great and glorious. Joan Calamezzo is more of a... Talk show. Oprah married to Jerry Springer show. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Um, Probably the one that I think of the most when I'm thinking about fictional news people, though. We talked about Aaron Sorkin a few weeks ago when we talked about the American president, but... My favorite of his TV shows is Sports Night, which is about the behind the scenes of a not sports center kind of show. So they're doing news, but they're doing sports news. And all of them involved are just terrific. Especially Felicity Huffman as their producer, a person who has never done anything wrong. No, she's a blameless human. (laughs) Nothing bad to say about her. Oh, and you know what? They bring in a ratings expert played by Felicity Huffman's real-life husband, Felicity Huffman's husband, which I believe is his official name, (laughs) according to court transcripts. Oh my gosh. At least she's handling this better than Lori Laughlin. 
Yeah, I mean, it'd be hard not to. Lori Laughlin might actually end up in jail for like 40 years yeah, the way she she's handling this. Because she didn't plead because she thought they were bluffing. What? Yeah. yeah. I did not realize that. And like during the trial where she turned down the plea, they brought in like more charges against her. Oh my God, what a nightmare. After she walked into the courthouse signing autographs. What? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. This story is months old by the time this episode comes out and it brings me so much joy except we will still be dealing with the fallout because i was talking to a friend of the show rachel r recently and she was pointing out Lori laughlin has a long career of working with the hallmark channel including appearing in some of their made for tv christmas movies all of which shoot in january and february when there is snow on the ground the question is how many of these things were in the can before Operation Varsity Blues was revealed. I hope a lot. (laughs) But will we get to see them? I hope yes. I know! Yeah. The people deserve it. Back to the news. Can you think of any famous movie news broadcasters? Besides this one? Yeah. Um, sure. There's the guy from Network. I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. I don't think I've seen that. Network's a classic. And that's one all about network news. Yeah, the... Thing is, famous movie news anchors are the center of the show. They're not going to be a fun supporting character like Kent Brockman, which makes them either more memorable because they're the star or like less memorable if the movie is not great. Oh, you know what? What was that movie with, um, wow, I'm really blanking on his name right now. Uh, George Clooney, where he's like a TV anchorman. No, no, no. He's a TV anchorman. Oh, Money Monster? Yes. That's a movie I did not see. I did see it. Wasn't that directed by Jodie Foster? Yeah, and it was him and Julia Roberts. Yeah, it was. Oh, and we can't forget a very famous television character involved in the news, Mary Tyler Moore Show. Uh, one of the greatest. Which leads us to James L. Brooks. Hey! Which leads us to today's movie. What Incredible segue. <laughs> Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This, of course, is a podcast where we delve deep into one of the great questions of our age. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And will I ever make a segue better than that one? Probably no. not. Or are these people even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation, or a difficult-to-decipher love triangle with an unclear-in-a-way resolution. Anyway, we will dig in, and we will see what's there. And this week, as you may have guessed, we are joined, rather confusingly, by my sister Mora, because there is no medicine in this movie? That's true, but there also was no medicine in Princess Diaries, so it's not the first time. That's true, but that one you were sitting in for Mark. Yeah, that was more specifically the me of that episode. Yeah. She was supposed to be you. Maybe I, rather than the, I'm like the medical expert and I come in to do movies with like the same people. Like I've now done two Jeff Goldblums. This is my second Holly Hunter. Maybe I'm just like a repeat actor. Okay. Person. We can work with that. I'm on yeah. board for Maura being our Holly Hunter expert. I like her. That'll get weird fast. <laughs> yeah. This it's, is like her, her breakout movie. Yeah. Well- Raising Arizona did get some hype, which came out technically a few months earlier. Oh, did it really? Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Let me check. I know the they're the same dates. year. They are the same year. Big year for Holly Hunter. Great year for Holly Hunter. When are we doing Raising Arizona? Okay, Raising Arizona is March 13th. Okay, this is a Christmas movie. Yeah, so that definitely put her on the map. Like, that got attention for sure. sure. Have you seen it? 
Oh, it rules. Have you seen Raising Arizona, Mora? I think I've seen, like, the first half hour. It's Nick Cage and Holly Hunter, and they kidnap a child? Yeah, I've seen, like, the first half hour, and then I think I fell asleep. It's like Sugarland Express, but more ridiculous. I think I would have to know what Sugarland Express was <laughs> to get that reference. Yeah, well, you should usually tailor your references <laughs> to help people understand to one that you think that they would know. I just really like Sugarland Express, and I think if I mention it enough, people will watch it. Hmm. How's that working out for you? Not great. In our notes, you describe her as our most frequently hostile guest. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that. <laughs> Will you <Yeah>. elaborate? <laughs> I think Mora gets cranky every time about whether or not there's medicine in a movie. No, I think I only did that once. For a whole episode. <laughs> you were really mad about The Fly, <laughs> but that's valid. That was only one. I've been on like three other episodes. I don't think I complained about any of those. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to go back and listen to them. I I think our most frequently hostile guest is Fiona, because you spend 90% of her appearances just making fun of her. I'm now hostile about the fact that you're calling me hostile. In the end, we're all hostiles. Starring Christian Bale and Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, Timothy Chalamet played a little, like, French cowboy in that movie. In what movie? Hostiles. I didn't even know that was a movie, but now I would like to see it. You should not. It's boring. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, the movie we are talking about this week is James L. Brooks's Broadcast News, starring Holly Hunter, William Hurt, and Albert Brooks. I had not seen this until we went to a showing at the AFI in Silver Spring with a talkback from James L. Brooks, and this is now one of my favorite films. Yeah, this is an incredible movie, and it was really cool that we got to see it that way in a theater with a really receptive audience. There were multiple applause breaks during the movie. What? It was great. People were so into it, and I loved it. That's awesome. And then we got to hear from James L. Brooks and Jane Mayer afterwards. Jane Mayer is someone who provided some inspiration for the character and did some consulting on what it's like to be a news person yeah of for course the movie of course the main person who provided the inspiration was susan Zelinsky of cbs news since we haven't actually said it broadcast news is the story of a female news producer played by holly hunter and her life working in broadcast news as well as her relationships with these two men played by william hurt and albert brooks And James L. Brooks, the director, had worked in TV for a long time, developing things like the Mary Tyler Moore show, and moved into film in the early 1980s with Terms of Endearment, his first movie, which went on to win Best Picture. Wow. So this is his follow-up. It took several years to develop, and part of that was he embedded with CBS News, following Susan Zielinski around, talking to her, really getting a sense of how it all worked, and how to build a story around that. Susan Zielinski now is the president of CBS News. Yeah, he picked a good one to follow. And, you know, that actually tracks for Holly Hunter's character's future. Yeah, because she goes on to be the chief editor yeah. of the news division. Of the Washington Bureau. At the end of the oh, movie. at the, mo- end, at the yeah, end of the movie. The, right. William Hurt the makes very her end. the editor. Yeah. This movie rules. It was very refreshing to see a movie in which a competent woman is appropriately rewarded for doing her job well. Yeah. Yeah. Which is actually just because that's not really what the movie is about. So it's really just different to see that in a movie where her talent is recognized by all of the bigwigs because she's just in a force of nature. And I think that is one of the things that works about it. We're a show that looks at relationships and we get to see the way that her laser focus on how to get her job done contrasts with her genuine confusion about what to do in her own personal life. I think about her at that party when her coworker asks her, if it's okay if she goes out with Tom and Holly Hunter has to stand there and go back and forth five or six times about how she feels about it. 
Her coworker, what is her name? Because I Jennifer. loved her. She's great. <laughs> Jennifer is excellent. I didn't know anyone's name in this movie until about halfway through. So in my notes, it's just like her, Mopey Man, and Coworker Man. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so Tom William Hurt is Coworker Man? No, he's Mopey Man. But Wait, then <laughs> he's Mopey Man. Oh, because he's kind of mopey he's, when she he's meets mopey him. Man. He's very mopey. And in then, the like halfway through, I wrote a note that said Aaron is now the Mopey Man. <laughs> They definitely swap. Yeah. Because at the beginning, Aaron's her fun friend that she has a great relationship with, and Tom is moping about the fact that he is a white man failing up. Yeah. And my opinions about Aaron really kind of flipped during the movie. Yeah. Which I think is a strength of the movie. We're supposed to see that. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely a bummer because I did like him a lot at the beginning. I know. And then by me the too. end, he was trash. And then during the flash forward, Epilogue. he seems to have gotten himself. Back in order. Yeah. Which is good. This movie was a huge hit, which is cool. It opened wide on Christmas Day 1987 and eventually made $51 million, which adjusted for inflation is like 115. So a nice, very solid hit for a movie about people working at the news. Yeah. And it also was nominated for seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Actor for William Hurt, Best Actress for Holly Hunter, Supporting Actor for Albert Brooks, Screenplay, Cinematography, and Editing. It is a crime that Joan Cusack was not nominated for her, like, 20 minutes in <laughs> this movie. Great. It is incredible. It is. She's one of, like, several just individual scenes that you could pluck out and be like, this is phenomenal. Joan Cusack is amazing in everything she is in. Why isn't she in more things? I assume it's because she doesn't want to. I don't know. I get... I know John Cusack is a guy who doesn't work a lot by choice. Yeah. I think she's had an interesting career. I think she probably got slotted into the funny friend. I was going to say, I feel like I never see her in like a main role. She's got that Judy Greer problem. Yeah, I think she was a er Judy Greer. Her performance in Adam's Family Values is probably her biggest performance I've seen in a movie of hers. But also... And boy, is it big. The best performance of anything we've covered on this podcast, maybe? I don't know. We did talk about Beetlejuice a while ago. We also did talk about Renee Zellweger in What Slash If. What If? But the fact that this is, again, gonna have happened months ago, and it's already old news when we are recording this in advance, but the fact that no one dressed up as Joan Cusack in Adam's Family Value for the Met Gala camp theme (laughs) is insane to me. It's just like the fact that Miley Cyrus didn't dress up as Hannah Montana. True. (laughs) That would be camp. So, none of us had seen this movie before. Nope. No. It rules. Yeah. It was so funny. I wanted to, like, get up and run a victory lap around the theater when it was over. <laughs> I hate Q&As, and this was a bad Q&A, but I understand the desire to get up and just say, James L. Brooks, you did a great job. Oh, yeah. But, like, you shouldn't do that in a Q&A. Oh, my God. They're just so painful. <laughs> Half the time, there's not an actual question when people go up, I feel like. You know, they're just kind of rambling with yeah. no real point. We heard a full speech at this one of a guy, like, explaining in detail the two scenes that were most important to him. And then just ending with, so if you have any reflections on those. What? It was awful. It was awful. And one of them was, like, the, it must be amazing being the smartest person in the room line and he's like that really resonated with me and it's like that line's not for you bud (laughs) if you're a man the line's not for you there is a very gendered element to that yeah line i loved her response though when she was just like it's not easy it's awful it's awful the weirdest part was 
I think James L. Brooks is now the richest person I've ever been in the same room with. Quite possibly. Huh. Do you know that the same year that this movie came out, he was also producing a show called The uh, Tracy Ullman Show? Do you know anything about that show? I've heard of it, but I don't really know anything about it. There's some animated segments during that show. Yeah, about a family. They tended to be yellow. Oh. They eventually got spun off into their own TV series. Wow. Of which he is a co-creator slash executive producer. Wow. To this day. Even besides his earlier TV money and his movie money, the man has Simpsons money. money. He has Mary Tyler Moore show, famous movies, including Oscar winners. And Simpsons money. Oh my god. So yeah, probably the wealthiest person we've ever been in a room with. That's fair. So I'd say that we will address most of the movie through going through the points. So every week we break down- Before we do this. Okay. There's one person, I have not looked at Morris points. Okay. But there's one person that I'm guessing will not have a ton to do with the romance, but who we've talked about before and I think deserves a shout out. The uncredited performance in this movie by Jack Nicholson. He's so Who is he in the good. Movie? He's the anchor in New York. He's the main anchor. Oh, 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 oh. He he was like weird. <laughs> He's great. He's Jack Nicholson. Yeah. He's not acting in this. <laughs> well, James L. Brooks in the Q&A we went to said that they cast Jack Nicholson, who had been in terms of endearment, so Brooks knew him, and uh, cast him because he said he needed someone who could be God in the organization. What? Someone who would just command a level of respect but also kind of fear yeah like when he walks into the room everyone kind of shrinks from him and so jack nicholson was there for like a day he came down susan Zelinsky taught him how to read the news wow not just like speak it but read the news the way that tom talks about in the movie yeah and they offered him 12 suits and told him to pick which what? one he wanted to wear he took all of them <laughs> like to keep yeah what are you allowed to do that he's god in the organization He's so good in the movie, and the way that he just keeps his laser focus and has no interest in anything else. Or anybody else, really. Right, you think about that interaction. It's so funny at the end. When when he calls up Jane and is complimenting her on the segment, and she's like, well, Aaron had so much to do with it. Like, I can put him on the phone, and Jack Nicholson is just like, no, I'm not going to talk to him. I need to read this thing someone handed me. And they can all see him on the monitor doing nothing. I think it's funny when at the end they're having to fire a bunch of people because of the budget cuts. And he is just standing there like, man, this is such a terrible day. It's so sad. And the other guy's like, well, we could have to fire fewer people if you would just take like a million dollar pay cut. And he just stares at him. And he goes, it was it was just a joke. It wasn't a real idea. I didn't mean it. It was cut a million off of your salary. <laughs> like, he was making so many millions. Yeah. Uh, James L. Brooke directed Jack Nicholson to two out of his three Oscars. Yep. So they have a very fruitful career together. But in this, he is not in any of the advertising. I had no idea he was in this. Oh, he interesting. He is not credited. It's just Jack Nicholson almost did this as a favor, it feels like. And it's perfect. And he's probably on set for a, a day. day. Yeah. Wow. And probably made couple mil. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he knocked one off his salary. So, uh, do we want to start going through the points? Yeah, let's do it. Sounds good. So every week we break down the romantic plotline of a movie into the five points that best summarize it. Mora, as our hostile guest. Excuse you. It's your job to guide us through the romance of broadcast news. Okay, so uh, Jane and Aaron work for this broadcast news company. I am beginning to repel people I'm trying to seduce. Wouldn't this be a great world if insecurity and desperation made us more attractive? 
if needy were a turn on. Jane is the producer and Aaron is um, just like a reporter and... An occasional fill-in anchor. Yeah. Jane is played by Holly Hunter. Aaron is played by Albert Brooks. And so the two of them seem like they have a very close working relationship. It honestly kind of seems like they're flirtatious friends. They have a, there's multiple points where it seems like they might kiss. There's just like a like lot of- Like when they're embedded with the Sandinistas? Yeah. So they seem very close. And then they're at this conference thing where Jane is giving a speech and it goes terribly. She's like not engaging to listen to at all. Which we're kind of warned is going to happen because one of the things that Jane and Aaron do to show how close they are is they talk to each other- on the phone every night. Yeah. And Aaron is warning her, like, hey, you're gonna get ready to give your speech? And she's like, yeah. Yeah, she was like, just thinking about it makes me nervous, so let's just do this instead. So anyway, she gives this terrible speech. Everybody gets up and leaves. But it's worse because not only do they leave, they totally disagree with her. She's making this speech about the rise of, like, the celebrity anchor and soft news pieces, and nobody's paying attention, and she tries to show them, like, look, every news station ran this story about, like, a giant domino maze. When there were actual, like, political big news things happening. And her point is, like, it's ridiculous that we all aired this, and everyone is, like, cheering and laughing for the domino maze as it plays behind her. And then they all just get up and leave immediately after. They applaud the clip and then leave. Yeah. And and you just see her between these two screens as her face falls continuously. And so anyway, Tom, who had been in the audience for this speech. This is Tom played by William Hurt. He comes back into the room after leaving and tells her that he, like, really resonated with her speech, I guess, and thought it was really great, and she made an impact on him. So the two of them go and start talking and presumably get dinner and everything, and they're walking around and talking. He actually invites her to dinner, presumably leaving behind the woman that he was flirting with yeah, in the audience. he was sitting with a woman, and, like, her she had hand her was, like, in his, his thigh and everything, and I was like, what happened to this woman? It's weird that she was there. In a way, because yeah. it's just so unaddressed. Well, I assumed it's just like it was he another. Literally ditched her. You well, this know? is at a news conference, and I assumed it was like another person that he had previously like started flirting with. Because including this woman, every woman besides Jane that we see him pursue is this like very put together blonde woman. That's true. Yeah, true. But he totally abandons her. They like go get dinner, and I love we see them walking later and. Uh, Jane is just fired up with all this energy. And she's like, I'm not tired at all. Do you want to keep talking? And invites her back to her room. Yeah. And so they go back to her room and they're talking. And he's telling her about how he, like, doesn't feel that, like, he's very good at his job. And he was like, I used to work in sports. And now they wanted to (laughs) me to switch to be, like, reporting some, like, news. And I just really... Because of a misunderstanding. Yeah. It was falsely reported... That he was being fired from his sports position. So a bunch of people wrote to the station saying not to. And the station was like, oh, people really like him. We'll bump him up to news anchor. And he's like, I don't know anything about the news. Yeah, and so he complains to Jane. He's like, I don't understand the news I'm reporting. Like, I got this job as a fluke. And it's really funny because, like, at first we see her very clearly flirting. Like, she asks him how good he is at back rubs, like that kind of thing. And when he starts talking about how nervous he is about his new job, 
At first, she's like, no, you're totally fine. Like, we all feel doubts. And you see her over the course of this conversation just get slowly more and more horrified as she realizes, like, he is the thing she just gave a speech against. Yeah, and, and she... like, the reason it resonated with him is he's like, oh, crap, that's me. And she tells him, basically, like, stop complaining that you're not good at your job and do something about it. Honestly, good advice. And he gets all pouty, hence why I named him Mopey Man. And he just says, I didn't like the way you talked to me just now, and then leaves. Oh, but he calls her back up then. Oh, yeah. And says, by the way, I've just been hired as the new anchor at your station. (sighs) Yeah. So, not great. But I was also confused. I was like, if he was just starting to work at her station, what was his plan with telling her like i don't feel like i'm really good at my job you he know? was looking for coaching yeah i guess so and i think that's also why he's kind of resisting like the back rub kind of thing is he doesn't want to walk into work already with that weirdness going on yeah that's true he got good coaching from her so i don't know what he was complaining about she gave him good advice if you feel like you're bad at your job do the work to get good at your job yeah but i think it's worth noting he is dumb in that he doesn't understand a lot of what he's supposed to be doing, but he's not an idiot. Like, he's aware of his limitations and doesn't pretend to know anything that he doesn't know, which I appreciate about Tom. Yeah, Tom and Aaron both kind of flip-flop in my esteem during this movie. I really found Tom very annoying. Yeah, and I was annoyed by the fact that he just totally, like, was annoyed by the advice she gave. I was like, what, this woman gave you real advice and now you're just upset that she didn't just let you mope around, you know? It was like he was upset that this woman had some actual helpful information for him. But then when he does arrive, she's very clear about, like, I don't have time to coach you. Like, I have my own job to do. You need to figure out how to do your job. She's clearly very busy at this job. Yeah, and at this point, he now is still trying to get her to coach him, but is also, like, asking her to dinner, stuff like that, kind of, like, asking her out, and she is just not even giving him the time of day, really. Meanwhile, Aaron is really frustrated by the hiring of Tom, because Aaron wants to become an anchor, and instead it looks like they're bringing in this square-jawed, handsome, stereotypical anchor man who looks great but doesn't have the goods. But he does present very well on camera. Yeah, and And he's studied his craft. He knows how to, like, sit properly. He knows how to read in a compelling way. He just doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, so he knows how to be an anchor. He just doesn't understand the news. Whereas Aaron cannot, for the life of him, be an anchor, but truly understands what he is reporting on. And to Tom's credit, he does start like trying to do pieces of his own and getting Jane to produce them for him and kind of like get her insight. And so the more this is going on, the more Aaron is getting jealous of Tom, the more confident Tom is getting. So this kind of brings us to point number two. Ask him, how does he know when he has a hit? Do you know you have a hit from one of those screens inside your cockpit or can you actually see your missile strike the other plane with your eye? That's good. Which is where things actually, you know, start to solidify in its less vague dinners. Because it's been a lot of people not super clear and not really sure how they feel about each other because we've got... Aaron and Jane have this relationship that is, like, super intense, and it's not clear whether it's romantic or if they're just, like, such an intensely well-matched pair of co-workers that it, like, almost feels that way. Yeah, it's very unclear, though. They talk all the time. They, like, blow kisses to each other. There's and it's a lot like, of, like, physical touch. Is it a deep friendship touch. and, like, the exhilaration of what they're doing, or is there a romantic element? We've also got Tom, and he and Jane clearly almost had a moment 
at that conference. Yeah. One of my favorite lines is when she's talking to Aaron on the phone at the start of the movie, and he says, wouldn't this be a great world if insecurity and desperation made us more attractive, if needy was a turn-on? So, in point number two, everybody's at a work party. It feels like it's like a brunchy kind of party at the home of Paul, who's one of the people really high up at the Washington Bureau. And they're all kind of hanging out, having some different conversations when our girl Jennifer comes up to Jane. Yeah, and she asks Jane, she's like, this is a little awkward, but I see Tom around you a lot, and I'm just wondering if you're interested in him or if there's anything going on, because if not... A great question that would later be used in Cooch Cooch Hota High. <laughs> this is really nice of Jennifer to do. It is. It is very nice, but here's the thing. She asks, like, if you are interested, then I won't bother. I just wanted to check. And Jane says, no, I'm not interested. And then she pauses and says, wait a minute. I do. I would mind, but I also don't respect him, so why am I saying this? Because he's a handsome boy. And then, as Jennifer goes to leave, she's like, you know what, Jennifer? Don't worry about it. Go ask him out. What do I care? It's no big deal. And Jennifer's like, I'm not going to do anything about it right now. And she's like, it's a Saturday. You're off. Go. And then Jennifer comes back in to start talking to Tom. But when Jane initially is saying, yes, I do mind, Jennifer gets all annoyed. And I was kind of like, you can't ask that question and then be annoyed by the answer. She gets annoyed by the wishy-washiness where she I feel like it really starts to turn when she says I mind but I don't respect him yeah because I guess that's if, fair Jennifer I, has also expressed interest in this guy at this yeah. point so it's just like if I was Jennifer I would also be very annoyed at Holly Hunter and okay Jane that's fair you're like second hand like insulted for liking him yeah, yeah true true basically Jennifer is like I'm interested in this man Is that okay? And Jane's just negging him and then being like, oh, but I want to have sex with him anyway. (sighs) And Jennifer basically is just like, I'm out. This is the point where she starts like edging her way around the room, like trying to catch Tom's eye, right? It works. Yeah. Yeah. It works. But then she gets mad at him because he says that she looks so much nicer at this party. Yeah. He was like, oh, you know, I've just never seen you dress like this. You look very nice and clean. And she was like, clean. And he goes, at work, you just always have a film over you. (laughs) It's so bad. (laughs) What a gross thing to say to someone. It could be literal film with her job. Well, I thought about that, but that's definitely not what he meant. not what he means. No. That's so rude. A Imagine- film over someone that's not even, like, that is explicitly calling them dirty. Like, yeah. physically dirty. Not just you look nice because you're in a nice outfit. Yeah, he takes it from, like, wow, you look really nice to, wow, I think you look terrible at work. <laughs> no, Jade, I need you to know. I mean terrible. You look awful at work, but you look so good right now. <laughs> but at work, you're just so dirty but you look so great now and it's just like she honestly looks great all the time too so i don't even know what he's going she's amazing yeah this party gets interrupted because there's some major news where like a libyan fighter shoots at an american something so they have to do the news in sicily yeah yeah and jack nicholson is on vacation so they have to produce the segment themselves and paul announces that tom william hurt will be anchoring it and not aaron who knows all about this and has done a lot of reporting in the past on U.S. relationships with Libya. He's met Gaddafi. Yeah, he interviewed Gaddafi. So Aaron just goes home and starts drinking these absurd concoctions (laughs) with two hands. Everyone else is given a job. 
and Aaron's just clearly left off the list. And what we get then is Aaron, frankly, for the most part, being a good guy, calling in a lot of information and a lot of stuff to help out. He's like feeding lines to Jane, who then feeds the lines to Tom so that he can use them in the interview. And we have this incredible shot from behind Tom where the camera's kind of like moving, circling him, and we just have Tom, and then in his ear, we can hear Jane feeding him lines. And it is this like really intense scene where it feels very intimate. Yeah. And you have Tom actually interpreting Jane's lines. He's not reading them verbatim. Right. He is making them more interesting. Right, again, very good at his job. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you see them come out of this and just be super charged by it. And it is like... Like I said, very intimate. It feels like almost like sexual in a way. And so after this, everyone's like, wow, that went so great. We're so excited. So a bunch of people are going to go out like for drinks and food and celebrate and everything. And And Tom is really insistent that Jane come along. Yeah. And when he asks her, he really gets all up in her space. She's sitting in a chair and he just like lunges towards her. And it's a chair with wheels and he's kind of rolling it backwards and forwards. It was honestly a lot. He was really in her personal space. But anyway, she was like, oh, you know what? I was going to go to Aaron's after this, uh, but maybe I'll meet up with you guys later. And so then later on, when she goes, oh, well, when she goes to Aaron's, he professes his love for her and she just doesn't really say anything. And so he's like, okay, well, I'll walk you to your car and then have a good night. But he does kiss her. He does he kiss does. her then. He's really drunk, though. Yeah. So yes. I kind of understand why Jane can be like, oh, this is just him being really drunk and sad. Yeah. yeah. It's not a big deal. Right. He but, might not remember it. Yeah. yeah. And there is a moment where he's like, I wish that there were two of you so that I could tell the one who's my friend about how I'm in love with the other one. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, after Jane leaves that, she goes to try and meet up with her other co-workers. And when she gets there, the only people left are Tom and Jennifer. And she knows that clearly Jennifer is trying to get with Tom in this moment. And so she's And like, they're leaving together. Yeah. And she's like, all right, I'm just going to go eat a burger by myself. And then Jennifer and Tom leave together. She sees them kiss. They Tom, go back to Jennifer's place and have sex. Tom first does say, oh, we'll come back while you eat a burger. Yeah. And- Jane says, no, you two should go, clearly knowing what they are about to do right, and they go pushing both. them towards it. Yeah, and before they actually do leave, though, Jennifer starts to walk away, and Tom just kind of stands there, stares at her, and then gives her, like, a weird poke. I enjoyed that. Yeah, it was just, you know, I guess it really exemplified the awkwardness of the situation. Which all three of them are aware of. Yes. Mm. Yeah, everyone knows what's because going on. Because Jennifer and Jane had their conversation that morning. Yeah. So anyway, then the next day or a couple days later. Excuse, at- excuse me, let's take a minute to appreciate. The Jennifer closet? lives in a nice two-bedroom apartment alone, which she can afford in downtown D.C. But she has converted one of her bedrooms into a closet. It's magnificent. It's Amazing. It's so funny. It reminded me of Cher's closet in Clueless. Oh, yeah. Just with everything on display. But Cher's closet in Clueless has a dry cleaner style rack (laughs) that spins around. I'm assuming the only reason Jennifer doesn't have one is because Clueless has not come out yet. (laughs) Jennifer would watch Clueless and call her closet guy to come remodel. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it also would be cheaper to do that where she's going. 
Well, that's true. So the next week at work, they're saying there's a story in Alaska that they need someone to cover. Like a serial killer trial. And they need someone to be up there kind of for like long term for a while. And so the guy asks Jane, like, who do you want to send to Alaska? And she goes, oh, Jennifer. Definitely Jennifer. Like, absolutely. Jennifer is the person we should send on this trip. Is this the worst thing Jane does? She gets Jennifer, her romantic, uh... Uh, enemy, rival. rival, yeah, out of the way. It's genius. It's genius. It's devious. It is probably immoral, but at the same time, Jennifer Successful. does do a great job in Alaska. Right. It's hard to argue with it from Jennifer's perspective because it is a thing that will help to advance her career. Right. I love that they're like day-to-day editor Blow Paul is Robert Prosky basically playing a very friendly like Ben Bradley kind of character. He's just a nice dude in a sweater. Yeah, he is a nice guy who I don't really understand what he does that Jane doesn't do. Yeah. Even though Jane does get his job. Well, Jane isn't in charge of the whole show. Like, Jane is one of the producers who produces some segments and things like that. But he is the managing editor. He oversees the whole thing. Mm. He's so great. I love him. It's funny because I had just recently watched Thief, the Michael Mann movie, where Robert Prosky is this, like, criminal mastermind who, like, burns down people's houses. Oh, God. And it was nice to see him as just, like, a friendly little guy. Oh, what a happy old man. But after Jennifer gets sent to Alaska, this brings us to point three, which is the White House Correspondence Center. I've never seen you like this with anybody, so don't get me wrong when I tell you that Tom, while being a very nice guy, the devil. This isn't friendship. You're crazy, you know that? Yeah, so Tom and Jane have continued to flirt a little bit, especially now that Jennifer is out of the way. And it seems like Aaron's confession of love has not been followed up on by either Aaron or Jane. Right. And so Tom calls Jane up one night and asks her if she wants to go to the correspondence dinner with him. And she says, oh, so you like me? And he goes, I like you as much as I could like anybody who thinks I'm an asshole, which I thought was a great line. So they decide to go together. And then the night of the correspondence dinner, though, Aaron is going to get to be the anchor for the weekend news because everybody else wants off to go to the dinner. Right. And he's been told by Robert Prosky that there's going to be downsizing. And Prosky was like, look, you should look for new jobs. Not that you're definitely out, but you should take a look. And Aaron is like, give me a shot at anchoring the news. Like, let me do it. I want to show the executives what I can do. And Prosky's like, great. Like, you have correspondence dinner night. Nobody wants to be at work. Yeah. And so he comes over to ask Jane for advice on what he should wear for this big night for him and realizes that she was going to go to the dinner with Tom. And he's like, can you at least pretend this is a little bit awkward? Like, you're getting ready for a date and I'm here. And it is kind of awkward. But Jane is like, no, no, it's not a date. It's just a professional conclave with co-workers. And as she says that, she's throwing condoms into her purse. So then she gets to the dinner and panics when she has to go through security because they're asking people to empty the contents of their bags. No, the security guards themselves are just dumping the contents of people's (laughs) purses, which is not generally what security guards do. Right. There are some cute moments before this, like as she's walking in, she's on a balcony and everyone is below her. And she's like, if he doesn't see me, then we're not meant to be together. And Tom sees her and looks up and just like grabs his heart and kind of spins. And it's very cute. I think we also need to address her crimped hair. Oh, she yes. She has fully large crimped hair. She looks like Raggedy yeah. Ann. With the next time we saw her with her normal hair, I was like, wow, her normal hair looks so much better than that. Wait, did we talk about the shoulder pads? 
Oh, we did not. I think the shoulder pads are important to address. So while she is getting ready for the dinner and Aaron's getting ready for his anchor position, the two of them are about to leave. She looks at Aaron and just goes, here, reaches inside her coat, pulls out her shoulder pads and puts them on Aaron, which is simultaneously sweet and so demoralizing for Aaron. <laughs> it gives him a better look. He looks more square. It does. It is yeah. helpful. But at the same time, it's also just like, okay, so you think I need shoulder pads? <laughs> well, so she also tells Aaron, like, after the dinner is over, I will come back to your apartment. He's like, I'll have the tape. We can watch it together of me doing the news and everything. And I was kind of like, why is she making these plans? Like, what did they get in the way of her date with Tom? And then Jane and Tom end up ditching the dinner after the security fee and so they just go to the Lincoln Memorial. They're hanging out, drinking, and they're like having a good time, kissing, everything. But Tom doesn't really listen to anything that Jane is saying, um, which is a little frustrating. And then, when but she he is says, also frustrated that it feels like she makes a decision, and like that's the decision. Well, this was even before that. But then she says, "I'm gonna go." to Aaron's, like, I'll meet up with you later. And then he gets a little annoyed, which I understand, but he yelled at her, which seemed uncalled for. But he does seem overall pretty cool about the fact that she wanted to go, like, see how her friend did after his news show and everything. Right, he's not opposed to it. His thing is, like... Just give me a chance to catch up. Yeah, so... And he even, like, offers to go over with her because he gave Aaron a bunch of advice on how to do it well. Like, he was rooting for Aaron to do well in this. Yeah, so she goes over to Aaron's place, finds out the fiasco of what happened where Aaron is literally dripping, like, drenched in sweat underneath all the lights. You can watch sweat just pouring down his face. At one point, he opens up his jacket and his shirt is just, like... It's darker than it is not in every location. It's so bad. And people are running over with hair dryers to try and dry him off some very unsuccessfully. Aaron says that apparently many people called into the show because they were concerned he was having a heart attack because of how bad he looked. But anyway, they're talking about this and Aaron's like, oh, let me make us some dinner. And Jane's like, oh, you know what? I actually am supposed to go back and meet Tom. And Aaron now becomes like really kind of crosses the line, I think, because. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because she says, I think I'm falling in love with Tom. And he like yells at her to get out of his apartment. So she starts to leave and he's like, no, come back, come back, come back. Still yelling. And to my dismay, she stayed. I thought she should have left. But anyway, she stays and he's like, let me tell you as your friend, like, what I really think. And he's like, you're not supposed to end up with Tom. He's everything that you, like, despise. Like, everything that you speak out against with the- He's the devil. And he says that Tom is the devil because if you were to ever meet the devil, it would be some handsome, like, charming man who doesn't try to hurt everybody, but who just over time slowly lowers your standards. I love this argument about how the devil would work. Like, the devil's got infinite time. Doesn't need to do one dramatic thing. Just bit by bit lower- the standards of society. And Aaron sees in Tom the standards of what is important, what journalists should be talking about, what qualities are needed in societal leaders being lowered bit by bit. And I think that in this particular circumstance, he is wrong and he is misapplying it. And like, for example, the flip way that he talks about the date rape story. Oh, that was so uncomfortable. That's when I really turned on him. Right, is a problem. But I love that argument about how the devil would work. Yeah, but so then they eventually kind of like get over this argument and she's still hanging around at Aaron's place and she calls Tom to be like, hey, like I, I don't, I am can't really get away. Like Aaron's thing didn't go so well. So Tom's like, you know what? We can just forget about tonight. And she's like, basically says she doesn't really want to. He goes, no, my dad's coming tomorrow. I should go to sleep. It's fine. Like 
Good night. And then the minute she hangs up the phone, Aaron just says, well, thanks for stopping by, which I also thought was pretty rude of him. She just like sacrificed her night to be here with him. And then the minute her night officially with Tom, there's no chance of that happening anymore. He's like, all right, bye. See you later. The next day, she goes to his office to sort it all out. And she blows in like a hurricane. She comes in hot. Yeah. Starts yelling about how she's feeling and how their relationship has developed. And when she's done yelling, Tom introduces her to his father, who is sitting in the room. And she walks out. And Tom's dad says, that is not how an affectionate person talks. He's not wrong. Nope. (laughs) That is not a word I would use to describe Jane. No. So then when point four. You won't be able to stay mad at me, right? I hope so. No, I'm not really mad. I'll miss you, we'll talk, we'll always be friends, we'll get hot for each other every few years at dinner, and we'll never act on it. Okay? They're making all these budget cuts, and so they have to fire a bunch of people. And Tom gets told that he's going to be moved to London. Which he thinks is a demotion, but but is not. is actually a promotion. And then Aaron says that he decided to leave because they basically said like, oh, we could fill you in anywhere and not have to pay you anymore. And so he's like, forget it. I'm going somewhere else. They openly tell him that he is cheap and that they don't feel like they need to pay him more. He's not worth firing. Right. Yeah. And Jane finds out she gets this promotion. And so Tom is talking to her and he's like, she's getting Robert Prosky's job. She'll be in charge of the Washington Bureau. And so Tom's like, you have a bunch of time off you can use. I have a week before my job in London starts. Like, let's go away for a week. And Jane's so excited. She's all down to go. And then Jane and Aaron go to get dinner when she finds out that Aaron's leaving. And at this dinner, I think she's talking about Tom again. And Aaron says, like, oh, maybe I'll come back to visit, like, 10 years from now, like, with my wife and kids. And when my kid sees you, I'll have to tell him it's not nice to make fun of fat single women and that's when i was just like aaron is being such a jerk like why can't he just get over the fact that she does not like him back and he's leaving and he turns back and one thing we haven't talked about we mentioned it briefly is that the story that establishes tom at this news organization is a piece he does on date rape where he interviews women who've experienced it and the piece resonates with a lot of people that's one of the ones that Jack Nicholson responds to, it helps Tom to rise up. And a key element of it that was so infuriating to Aaron, who is firmly opposed to this personality-driven news, is a shot of Tom crying while this woman is telling her story. And as he's leaving work, Aaron asks Tom, you only brought one camera crew with you, right? Asking, basically, was it possible for you to have a camera pointed at the woman telling her story and a camera pointed at yourself? And Tom's answer was no. Well, it was, yes, he had only one camera crew. Right, I'm sorry. Yeah, and so then when Aaron leaves, he tells Jane, like, hey, he only had one camera crew, like, Check just out the figured I should footage. let you know. That means he set up the shot of him crying. Right, and so it was like, he had finished the whole interview, and then someone was like, oh, I thought you were going to cry, and he was like, well, I was about to, like, give me one second, and then he starts crying, and they patched that in, so it was like fabricated emotion, sort of. Which to Jane is totally unacceptable. We've seen right. she is not willing to stage stage anything to the point that when she and Aaron were embedded, were they with the Contras or the Sandinistas? With the Contras. Yeah, Sandinistas are the communists. Right. So they're embedded with the Contras and her camera guy like gets over and is trying to get a shot of one of the Contras tying his shoes and Jane is like, no! 
do not tell him what to do. We do not stage things here. And then they're all just sitting there as this guy like has a shoe on untied. And she's like, do whatever you want to do. Don't do anything because of us. And he's just like sitting there clearly unsure of what to do. Like, can I please tie my shoe? Yeah, so when Jane realizes that this was all fabricated, she gets really upset. She goes to the airport and tells Tom, like, I'm not coming. And as she tries to talk to Tom about this, he just is not listening to her, just walks away without really even hearing out her reasoning for why she's not going to go on this trip with him. But she won't go. Yeah, he gives her her ticket, Mm -hmm. says, I'm going through security. I'll see you inside or not. And she does not follow him. Nope, she gets in a cab and takes... New York Avenue from Dulles <laughs> to get to downtown DC. Yeah. A route directions. that is impossible? Well, I guess you swing around the beltway. No, because she says, don't take the beltway. Take New York Avenue. So you take GW Parkway way north of Virginia. You cut across the chain bridge. I guess. Yeah, odd direction. <laughs> but anyway, so in point number five then. You're a prick in a great way. <laughs> You know what I mean? No, I like the way it made me sound. We have a flash forward like 10 years, I think, seven years, something like that. Seven years. And in the end, no one, none of the three ended up together. Aaron, who had gone out to a job in Portland, has gotten married and does have kids. Tom is engaged to the woman he was sitting with during Jane's speech at the beginning of the movie. So somehow she worked her way back in. And our cut to the future has been Tom is now the anchor. He has Jack Nicholson's job. Yeah. And he announces that Jane will become like editor for the news at this network. For Nicholson, it was the same job. He was the anchor and the news editor. And Tom, still not pretending to know things that he doesn't know, is like, These need to be separate jobs. Yeah. I can be the face, but I can't also be the brains. And so Jane is getting this great promotion and announces that she recently started seeing someone a couple months ago. And it seems like they are all very friendly at this point in their life. It's definitely awkward, especially with Aaron. It's, yeah. Jane gets along well with his kid. Yeah. It seems like they may have talked. They've definitely interacted some in the past several years. But they are clearly not as close as they were before he said, in a few years, you will be fat, ugly, and single. Yeah. So it's worth noting that they went into production on this movie without an ending planned. Oh. Including, like, an ending to the relationships. They shot the movie largely in sequence because James L. Brooks planned on just seeing which pairing had more chemistry and going with that. Interesting. And... He actually went to shoot an ending where Jane and Tom end up together. But the plan was just to have her getting in a cab and then to have Tom get in the cab as well. Okay. And the plan was to not tell Holly Hunter about that and just film whatever her reaction was. And he's like, I didn't know how she would react in character, but I knew I would get something. But then right as they were about to do it, someone said, oh, hi, Will, and gave away that William Hurt was there. So they wound up not using it. And I think... First of all, that's a crazy way to make a movie. Well, it could be fun. Maybe fun to do, but in terms of structuring a story, sure, it's a crazy sure. way to make a movie. And I'm glad that it goes this way, that these relationships yeah. don't tie up so neatly. Me too, because I honestly didn't really want her to end up with either of them. Yeah, they I They both agree. bothered me. I think it worked out the best for everyone. Yeah. I agree. I liked it. I often feel in movies that they force people to get together. I like that this movie recognized that the way they set it up, none of these people belong together. Yeah. I mean- Film relationships are often forced is kind of the premise of this podcast. It, it is True. indeed. Welcome to We Love the Love, <laughs> all Hollywood right. romance podcast. All right. Well, having looked at all this, do we find these relationships believable with Jane and Tom and Aaron? I would say I so. so. Yeah, I would agree. Jane and Aaron start 
movie as very close friends. Yeah. And it makes sense that some feelings might develop there, which could then lead to a massive blow up where yeah. they are no longer friends. And Tom is very attractive. He's a handsome man. Is basically the main reason Jane is interested in him. Well, I love but after the first time. Unfair. After the first time that Tom comes over to her room and then she throws him out at the conference, she's talking about it on the phone with Aaron. And Aaron goes, I'm guessing he was handsome. And Jane's like, Why would you say that? And Aaron says, Because no one invites ugly idiots back to their room. <laughs> Yeah, the fact that he is good looking is really the only reason Jane seems interested in him. I like but Tom. He is very. I think she, while not really talking about it, knows that he's very nice. Yeah, and nicer sure. than Aaron. Right. And like I said, I think he has a self awareness that is valuable. Yeah, true. And he's a hard worker. Like all of the places where they have conflict, especially there at the beginning, are like him wanting to do his job as well as possible. You think about him in the beginning where we see all of them as little kids. Yeah. And you think about him like in the truck with his dad just being like, I'm studying all the time, but I'm still getting terrible grades. I thought it was so funny. He's so cute. When his dad is just like, oh, he gets you a tutor, whatever. And, and he's overjoyed. And Tom is just like, you will get better. You will get better. You will get better. And he goes, thanks for talking this out with me, dad. And his dad has this horrified look on his face. Like what just happened? And I think that's Tom throughout his life. He's going to yeah. hold himself to high standards. So where would you guys rate it? What on our 10-point scale? Yeah. Moral, what do you think? I was hoping one of you would go first because I hadn't really decided. You are the guest. I don't know. Maybe like an eight? Okay. Why? <laughs> I assume it's because she thinks it's not fully believable, but 80% believable. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, I do think it is pretty realistic, though. Yeah. Maybe I don't really have a good reason to knock points off of it. Mark, what are you thinking? I don't know. Is it a... I don't know if it's... I don't know. I'm just really struggling to come up with a reason why it isn't believable. I mean, I guess Holly Hunter's character, Jane, really does spend a lot of time talking about why she thinks Tom is dumb. Yeah, but I think... But at the same time, he's very attractive, and I can see her wanting the D. I know people who have said, this guy is so good looking, but there is not much going on in his brain. So I have had that conversation with someone before. And they don't end up together, which is the logical conclusion of that feeling. Right. right. Maybe it is a 10. And do a 10? Yeah. Yeah. Yay. This might be a 10. This movie good. rules. This movie is amazing. It's so good. But again, the scale does not correlate to what we think of the movie. No, but. Here it does. Here it does. Here Correlation it does. does not equal causation. But it can show something. Yeah. <laughs> do we find these three people dateable? Strong case for no on all three. Strong case for yes on two. Agreed. But strong case for no. Stronger case for no on all three, I think. Yeah, which two? Uh, Jane and Tom. I was agreeing to that. But I think Jane is the most dateable. Jane is the 100%. most dateable, but she is too obsessed with her job for someone like me. Mm-hmm. Tom, I also don't really respect his intelligence, which... I think Tom works hard and probably grows a lot. Yeah. But, and then Aaron, as we've talked about, becomes kind of a dumpster fire of a human. Yeah. He definitely spirals. If you did have to pick one person to date, Mora, who would it be? I think it might be Joan Cusack's character. I feel like she's fun. That's the correct answer. Yeah. She's fun and she seems good at her job, you know. I love when she gets fired and she tells Jane that Jane is her idol in all things except social life. Yeah. It's so funny. And it shows how close they are that she could just openly say that to her <laughs> yes. face. Yeah. What about you, Mark? Uh, obviously, it's Joan Cusack's character, whose name I cannot remember because she's not on screen long enough for name. them to say it. She's credited as playing Blair 
Kay. I feel like they never say that name. They <laughs> maybe say it like twice. Yeah. John Cusack is credited as playing Angry Messenger. When does he show up? Which I don't messenger? Know. I like that they occasionally crop up in each other's movies, though. Yeah, that is cute. So, Will, who would you date? I probably would date Jane. She rules. She's intense. Yeah. I feel like I could roll with that. Yeah, I th- I don't think she's undateable. I like her at a all. lot. If I'm going for just like the coziest relationship, it's Robert Prosky. I'm on board for that too. All right, so no one's together. So no one has to stay together. So no yeah. one will stay together. Should broadcast news be made into a musical? I don't think so. I don't think so either. It could potentially rule as a stage play. It could be a good play. Yeah. But I think this movie is perfect as it is and doesn't need to be touched. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's fair. And it hasn't, and I like that. All right. Well, on that note, I'd say we're done for this movie. Yeah, I think that about does it. All right. Next week, we are going to be talking about a movie that I have seen a couple of times, and every time it makes less sense to me. I have not seen this movie. I know that Ryan Gosling takes his shirt off and Emma Stone is impressed, and that's about it. (laughs) The movie, of course, is Crazy Stupid Love. I don't know if there are supposed to be commas in that. There are in the Wikipedia title, but there are not on the poster. So we'll discuss next week. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod. And you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps other people to find the show. Last question, Mora. What's the best piece of dating advice you got from this? Send your romantic rival far, far away. Will? I mean, like I said, I think the most intimate scene in the movie is when Jane is in the headset with Tom. So I would say if you're interested in somebody, give them a Bluetooth headset and just talk into it constantly. That sounds terrible. That sounds not comfortable for (laughs) anyone involved. Well, nobody makes them put it in. I'd say some negative advice from this movie I got is don't get really drunk, confess your love to your friend, then... Later, reconfess it, and when they don't reciprocate, immediately turn on them. That doesn't seem to work out. Yeah. A long time ago, I complained that Mark's advice was always, don't do this thing, and then he stopped for a while, and now that's all he does. I didn't do that last week. Actually, I have no idea what came out last week. (laughs) What are you talking about? We're recording sequence. (laughs) Last episode we recorded was Beetlejuice. I don't even know if that's out yet. Last week, of course, was Kate and Leopold. (laughs) Ah, yes, the movie that we have definitely watched and recorded. (laughs) All right, well, on that note, until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay. And I'm not hostile. (laughs) That sounded so friendly, (laughs) Maura. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! It starts off with this very high-tech synthosequency type thing, like this. That's the news.